Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Join us here today as we begin our study into the King of the North and the King of the South of Daniel chapter 11 here on the Last Things Podcast. Look at verse 15, okay? Then the king of the north will come and lay siege to a fortified city and capture it. The best troops of the south will not be able to stand in the face of onslaught, okay? So the fortified city, this happened at the Battle of Panium, P-A-N-I-U-N, Panium, maybe, P-A-N-I-U-M, if you want to research it, okay? Because of this battle, the Ptolemaic kingdom never recovered from this defeat. This was a bad defeat for them, and they never recovered, okay? And look at verse 16. The king of the north will march onward unopposed. None will be able to stop him. He will pause in the glorious land of Israel, intent on destroying it, okay? So nobody was able to stand up to Antiochus III, Antiochus III. He was pretty much unstoppable. No one could stand up to him at this point. But he stopped. It says here, he'll pause in the glorious land of Israel, right? History says he conquered Judea. His intent was he was going to destroy it, but he did not do that. You know why he didn't do it? Now, this I'll admire him about. He remembered a lot of the Jews were supporting him. You know, during the last battle, when they defeat uh, during uh, the last war that he was involved in, remember in verse verse 14, where the Jews were defecting to help him out. He remembered that he remembered their loyalty to him. And because of the loyalty that they showed him, he did not destroy Israel. He didn't destroy Judea because he remembered the Jews helped him. And he said, I will not do that because they supported me. And if they supported me, I'm going to support them. I will not destroy this land. So he he was good on that. I, I admire him for that. He remembered, hey, they helped me. That's why they helped me. That's why it's very important. When people bless you, when they're in a position of needing help, always go back and help them. Show your loyalty to them. Show your loyalty. Man, today I went to go help out H2O today. And man, he needed a lot of help today. And because of everything that he's done for me, I hold H2O in a high regard. So because everything he's done for me, of course I'm going to go help him out whatever he needs, right? Because I've never forgotten anything, everything he's done. This podcast wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for him. So of course I went to help out. I'm like, man, whatever you need, I'm there. And that's an example. I'm just using that as an example of loyalty to people. 
always be loyal to everybody, man. If you if somebody help you, hey, if someone's a blessing to you, always remember them. Remember them because at some point you'll always get a chance to return the favor or who knows, you might get into a pit. You you might end up needing their help again. But loyalty is loyalty and respect. OK. It's very few in between loyalty and respect is not as strong as it was back then. Back then, there were certain things that we just didn't do because of the respect factor. But respect now, see, nowadays, it just seems to be out the window. But I respect what Antiochus III did because he never forgot they supported me. And because they supported me, I'm going to support them. I'm not going to destroy this land because of them, because this is their land. Okay. Now, let's go to verse 17. Okay. Verse 17 says this. He will make plans to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will form an alliance with the king of the south. He will give him a daughter in marriage in, over, in order to overthrow the kingdom from within, but his plan will fail. This sounds very familiar, don't it? <laughs> very familiar. Same names, different people, right? Don't this sound like what happened between Antiochus II and Ptolemy II? And, 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 and look, it's like history repeating itself. So whatever happened, 17 years later, 17 years have passed. And now... Ptolemy, Ptolemy the fifth at this time, I think he's about 16. He may be 16. Or he's he's somewhere between 16 and 18 years old. Now he's a young, you know, he's he's a teenager. He's still the king, but he's still the king. So what ends up happening, Antiochus was trying, Antiochus the third was trying to make peace between him and Ptolemy the fifth, right? So he offered his daughter, his daughter's name was Cleopatra one, not the other, not the original Cleopatra that we all know of. He named his daughter Cleopatra one, right? That was her, that was, her, that was her name. So he offered her to marry Ptolemy. And of course they get married, right? Now look at the, the rest of the scripture says he get in order to overthrow the kingdom from within. So her job was to help was to go in, marry Ptolemy but then use the information to help her father, right? However, she didn't do that. Why? Oh, this, ooh. why she didn't do that? She respected her husband. Oh, I could preach a whole sermon on that alone. Ooh, she respected her husband and she didn't do what her father wanted to do because she respected her husband. Ooh. Man, that's a whole man. That is a whole two. That's a whole. See, <laughs> see, that's why the Bible says wives are husbands are to love our wives. But the Bible says wives are supposed to do what? Respect your husbands. See, for, for any woman that's listening, we as men, we don't interpret love as love. We interpret respect as love. If you love us, you'll respect us. That's how we interpret love. We're commanded to love you, love, honor, and cherish you. We're men are commanded to do that. But women are commanded to respect your husband. But we see now in society, women do not respect their husbands. This is the crazy thing that a lot of women don't understand. 
you'll disrespect your husband, but you'll show more respect to your male supervisor. And see, that's what that's the thing that God has a problem with a lot of women. You did you disrespect your husband when I said respect him. You disrespect him, but yet and still you'll you'll show more respect to another man than you will to your own husband. That's the issue that God has with a lot of women. You'll disrespect your husband, but you'll respect everybody else other than him. And that's why a lot of good men will go off cheating on their wives. Why? Because you let that man be disrespected at home long enough. And what will end up happening is another woman will come along who will show him the respect that he should get at home. And that's going to draw him to her. That's going to draw him to her because it's natural for a man as men. We always look for respect. And the most place, you, you know, for a man, you're disrespected at work from your supervisors and customers. You know, you're disrespected there. Then you come home and you're still disrespected when you come home by his wife, by their children. They still disrespect him. So where does that man get any kind of respect? He doesn't get it. And that's why a lot of good men leave. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that, oh, they should go off and cheat. No, you should not do that because the wife is supposed to respect her husband. But also at the same time, the husband is supposed to love and honor and cherish. So first thing we got to look at is, man, you got to make sure you're doing your part. Now, if you're doing your part, now, if you're not doing your part, you can't get mad when your wife is disrespecting you because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Let me give you a tip. The Bible says, men, husbands, when you don't honor your wife, the Bible says, when you pray to God, God will not hear your prayer. I'm going to find it in scripture where it is, and I'm going to post it on the Facebook page. But the Bible says, when you don't, men, when you don't honor your wife, when you pray to God, God will not hear your prayer. You have to go back and make things right with your wife. When you make it right with your wife, God will then hear and honor your prayer. But if you disrespected or dishonored your wife and she's living right by, she's living righteously, she's living right. She's living by the way God intended her to live. She's living godly. She's doing the things that she's supposed to do. But you still dishonor her. The Bible says God won't hear your prayer, husband. So if you go, so if you're a man listening to this and you're married, you got a lot of stuff going on and you seem like you're praying and God's not hearing it, you might need to check yourself because God might be saying, no, you need to go make things right with your wife. Once you make things right with her, then you can start praying and God say, I'll hear your prayer now. Okay. So, but I'm, I'm giving that as a point, but what I'm saying is, this is what happens when a lot of men are disrespected. You got a lot of good men who go off and do things that they normally won't do because of the disrespect and the disloyalty that they get from home. See, that's what the older the older women understood. That's why you if you notice now, you, you don't hear a lot about marriages lasting 20, 30, 40, 50 years anymore like you used to. An average marriage now might last five years or so. But we live in such a society where men, where it's a war between man and woman. It's re it really is. It's a war between man and woman. 
And what everybody doesn't understand is the enemy is coming in, causing confusion and division between men and women. But we can't have that because men and women are supposed to come together. But because there's so much division and conflict that the enemy has stirred up between the two, that's a war. It's pretty much a war, even though people aren't calling it that. But it really is. It really is that. OK, but anyway, so um, let's get back to Cleopatra. So she does not help her father because she respects her husband. And that's why the Bible says his plan will fail because she didn't do that. She respected her husband. She was young. She, I think I think she was like 19. I think she was 19. Was she 19? I can't remember how old she was, but I want to say she was a little younger than Ptolemy because Ptolemy six between 16 and 18. But I think she was a little younger. But anyway, she but anyway, she does not help her father because she respects her husband. OK, now, verse 18 after this. So after this time jump, he will turn his attention to the coastal to the coastland and conquer many cities. But a commander from another land will put an end to his insolence and cause him to retreat in shame. So what ends up happening? The cities that he the uh, the coastland that he was uh, conquering, the cities that he conquered were Smyrna, uh, Lampasus, and three and Thrace and Thrace. Okay. But in 191 BC, the Romans under Manus Achilles Glabrio defeated Antiochus at Thermopylae. I, I, I wrote it so fast, I, I can't read. I can't read my own chicken scratch. Thermopylae, T H E R M O P Y L A E, and forced him to withdraw to Asia Minor. So that's what the scripture means when you say a commander from another land. The commander's name is Manus, M-A-N-I-U-S, Achilles, A-C-I-L-I-U-S, Glabrio, G-L-A-B-R-I-O. We'll put an end to his insolence and cause him to retreat in shame. He defeated Antiochus and Antiochus withdrew to Asia Minor. Okay. Now let's look at verse 19. He will take refuge in his own fortress, but will stumble and fall and be seen no more. Okay, so what happens? He had Antiochus had to sign a peace treaty. He had to sign a peace treaty with the Romans called the Treaty of Ampia, a uh, Apamea, A-P-A-M-E-A. Now, let me pull this up because did I write it, get the information down? I, I think I did. Okay, here's the terms of the treaty. The terms ob obliged Antiochus III to abandon Europe altogether and all of Asia west of the Taurus Mountains. He had to, he had to surrender all the war elephants in his possession and was limited to 12 warships for the purpose of keeping his subjects under control, but he was allowed to build more if he was in attack. Antiochus was barred from recruiting mercenaries north of the Taurus, that is from the territory, just ceded to the Roman, just ceded to Roman allies um, 
Ergoman Monroe. See, I was in parentheses, all right? But anyway, it says he was barred from recruiting mercenaries north of the Taurus and entertaining fugitives from the same. From the same. Antiochus had to give 20 hostages whom the Romans, who the Roman con consu would select. I guess that's the Roman, uh, the Roman consu. It's not showing what it, hold on, let me see. Roman consu. The Roman, a uh, uh, consul, C-O-N-S-U-L. I'm sorry, I can't tell from uh, how it's written here. It says the consul was the highest elected public official of the Roman Republic, okay? So they would select them. They would select the hostages. The hostages should be changed every third year, except the son of Antiochus. In the future, he would maintain no elephants. The Seleucids were forced to pay an indemnity of 1,500 talents of silver of debt, 500 Eubiac uh, talents immediately. 2,500 more when the Roman Senate ratified the treaty and installments of 1,000 talents each to be delivered to Rome annually over the next 12 years. The Seleucids also agreed to pay an indemnity of 5,400 of corn. He was also forced to surrender all prisoners and deserters to his enemies and to Aminus II, the king of Pergamum, whatever remains of the possessions he acquired by his agreement. So that's pretty much the treaty as to the terms of the treaty, okay? So what does the Bible say? After he signed this treaty, afterwards, he would take refuge in his own fortress, right? So then he goes back back home, right? He goes back to back to his land. It says, but he will stumble and fall and will be seen no more. Okay. So what ends up happening is in 187 BC, he was pillaging a temple in Baal and it says he was killed. It doesn't, let me see if I can pull up and read exactly what it says about his death. Hold on a minute. Give me one quick minute. Here it is. It says Antiochus mounted a fresh eastern expedition in Luristan, where he was killed while pillaging a temple of Baal at Emmaus, Persia in 187 BC. So that's what the scripture means when it says he'll retreat to his own land. He'll he'll uh, he'll he will he will take refuge in his own fortress, but he'll stumble and fall and seen no more. He was defeated in battle. He had to sign this treaty, which pretty much stripped him of almost everything. And he says he'd be seen no more. He dies. Okay. So now Antiochus III is now gone. Now, verse 20, his successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. But after a very brief reign, he will die, though not from anger or in battle. So who's Antiochus the uh, who's Antiochus the third successor? His successor is Seleucus the fourth. Okay, he's the oldest son, and what he did, he sent out a tax collector after hearing an inflated report on the temple's wealth. The tax collector's name was Hilitorus. 
And what he does is he attempts to raid, and, and one thing that he did, he attempted to raid the treasury of the second temple in Jerusalem, but was repelled by angelic beings in a miracle. Okay, so that's one thing that he did. He was a tax collector. The Bible says he would send uh, the, his successor was sent out a tax collector to maintain royal splendor. All right. So that's what happened. He literally was the tax collector that was sent out. Now, the Bible says after what did he do? What not the Bible? What what? Um, what was something that he did? Mm, man, I, I had it pulled up. I had it pulled up. I can't I can't find it. But pretty much that's who he was. He was the tax collector. If you want to look him up, his name is Hilitorus. H-E-L-I-O-D-O-R-U-S. Okay. That's who he that's the tax collector. Okay. Now, listen to what it says. The rest of verse 20. But after a very brief reign, he will die. Throw not though not from anger or in battle. So the successor, it won't die. He's gonna die, but not from anger nor in battle, right? So what ends up happening on September? Oh, this is where it was. This is where it was. Okay. So what happens is uh, what happened on September 3rd, 175 BC, Seleucus the fourth is assassinated. And who is he killed by? That tax the rumor is he's killed by that tax collector, he illiterate because he wanted power. He wanted the throne for himself, right? However, his act is gonna lead to verse 21. Verse 21 says this: the next to come to power will be a despicable man who is not in line for the for royal succession. He will slip in when least expected and take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. Who are we talking about now? Now, who's the who's the next to come in power? So Lucas the fourth is now dead. So Lucas has a brother. What's his brother's name? Antiochus the fourth. Doesn't that name sound familiar? That's right. We're here at Antiochus the fourth now. Now, do you see the the line of how it, I'm going to tie all of this together. There's a reason why we're going through this whole timeline. I'm going to show you when we get to the end. Okay. When we get to the end of verse, uh, when we get to the end of chapter 11, I'm going to show you later on. Okay. I'm going to show you. There's a reason why we're going through this whole timeline. Okay. Who is the, um, and who, who's now in line and Tyke is the fourth. Now what happened? The true, the true heir of the throne was supposed to be Demetrius one, but Demetrius was a hostage in Rome at the time. Now the Bible says Antiochus, not the Bible, uh, history says Antiochus rallied enough support of the Greek ruling class in Antioch, in Antioch to support his claim. Remember when I said Hilitorus was doing something that he didn't know led to him? Antiochus went back and was convincing the people, don't listen to Hilitorus, listen to me. And that's exactly what they did. They listened to Antiochus IV, even though he wasn't technically, he wasn't in line for the throne. The next one in line was Demetrius. But because Demetrius was a hostage at the time, he couldn't be there, right? He was a hostage. He was a, a hostage. He was being held hostage somewhere. So Antiochus goes back to the people, to the, to the people in charge at the time, 
and he convinces them to listen to him and ignore Hilaris, right? So what ended up happening is that's what happened. They listened to they listened to Antiochus, and Hilaris was then um then it says um Hilaris after that it says he then vanished, <clears throat> he then vanished from history. Presumably he lost his position in government and was either executed or driven into exile. But he's never heard from again after this. So he's gone out of history. He's gone now. So now Antiochus gets the throne. So it says he sees the throne for himself as co-regent. Remember, a co-regent is what? He's the ruler when the king is when the real king is away. Remember just in earlier in Daniel. Oh, I can't think of their names right now. Oh, man, I'm having a blank moment. Remember early in Daniel, the situation, the writing on the wall, the king at the time was gone. So Daniel, so somebody else was in charge. That's what's happening here. Antiochus, <laughs> Antiochus is the co names himself co-regent because Demetrius, uh, Demetrius is the true king. However, he's being held hostage. So Antiochus gets a goes, runs his mouth and gets enough support to where they where he can be named co-regent without any problems. OK. Now. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me back that up. Demetrius is being held hostage. OK, so if Demetrius can't do it, then there's somebody else in line. Now, there was an infant named Antiochus, another infant, somebody else named Antiochus. Right. So he would have been the one in charge because Demetrius was locked up. However, Antiochus is now being co-regent. Antiochus IV is now co-regent with this other Antiochus. But the, the infant, however, uh, is killed. And, and a lot of people believe Antiochus IV killed this child. And that's how now he's the king. Okay. Because Demetrius is the true king, but he's being held hostage. So, of course, he can't serve. So, if it can't be him, then who would it be? It would be this infant Antiochus. However, Hilaris just killed the king, and he's trying to get the throne himself. Antiochus IV is hearing this, and he's like, oh, no, you know, and runs his mouth and convinces the people, don't listen to Hilaris, listen to me. And that's what they did. And what ends up happening? Antiochus IV puts himself as co-regent. So he's the king in place while the, the true king is awake. But what happens? He goes back and has the true king killed. So now he's king. And no, he, now he's king, right? Now let's look at verse 22. Before him, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. Now, what ends up happening is Antiochus then attacks Egypt and he attacked and he captures Ptolemy the fifth now. Now, Ptolemy the fifth is on the throne. But what happened is Antiochus did not want to alert Rome of what he was doing. Why? Because Rome is an ally to Egypt. And Rome is a bigger threat than Egypt is. So Antiochus did not want that to happen. So what does he do? He lets he allows um, Ptolemy the fifth to continue ruling as king, even though he's really running the show. But he let him continue to serve. So it would not alert the Romans as far as what happened. Right. OK, so when the scripture says a covenant prince was swept away, the covenant prince's name. Oh, I oh. 
Onias III. He was the high priest for Israel during this time. But he was disposed of, and his and a, a history says his brother Jason paid Antiochus a large sum of money to be named high priest. And because Jason made this payment, that's what Antiochus did. He named him high priest. So that's what it meant. That's what the scripture means in verse two when it says, uh, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. The covenant prince was Ananias, Ananias the third. He was a high priest of Israel, but he was disposed of, swept away. And his brother Jason became the high priest because he wanted, um, because of, um, who I'm drawing a blank, because he paid Antiochus a large sum of money. He pretty much paid Antiochus off. But what ends up happening is I believe with the rest of the uh, what I read, I believe somebody else comes along and then pays Antiochus even more money. And then Antiochus makes him uh, the next high priest of Israel. Okay. This Antiochus does not have the, the, um, the, the, he doesn't care about the Jews the way Antiochus the third did. He doesn't. Okay. And we're going to see that, th that Antiochus the fourth, oh boy, we're going to see he is not something we thought we've seen all these other kingdom kings and things do thing do. And we're thinking, oh, that's just terrible or whatever. They can't hold no fire to Antiochus the fourth. Okay. And as I said, there's a reason why the angel is telling Daniel, see to Daniel, all of this is future. But to us, it's history. However, for us, he's going to tell Daniel something that is for us right now, present day. It's for us. OK, but as we're going to keep going, look through this trip of history, it's all going to culminate to something that affects us right now. OK. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Join us here next week as we continue our discussion into the King of the North and the King of the South of Daniel chapter 11 here on Last Things Podcast. Love you guys. Be blessed.